Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. And you can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. in Wisconsin, and that area of our country is packed with lakes. So my friends, my cousins, all of us together, we spent weekends on the lake learning to water ski. And so by five years old, we were all popping up behind the boat and skiing our way around the lake. So when we got to high school, we thought we were pretty cool. We thought we were pretty hot stuff and that we were really good at water skiing. And so we tried a lot of really dumb things as a result. And I remember one particular Saturday, we were uh, skiing behind my friend Shana's grandpa's boat. And the two of us were skiing together. We both had our own ropes behind the same boat. And I was skiing on what I thought was an awesome water ski. This thing was sleek and thin. It had awesome... um, keel to be able to cut in the water, really good ankle support. And I was slaloming behind the boat. And then Shayna was slaloming on this old rickety junky piece of wood type water ski with no ankle support that we found earlier that day buried in her grandpa's boat shed. And we thought, wouldn't it be fun to bust this thing out and the two of us would ski together. So that's what we were doing. And that was pretty fun. And then we got a little bored. So we thought, wouldn't it be fun to shorten the length of the rope on my rope? So I'll be a little bit ahead and she'll be a little bit behind. And then she'll lift her rope up and I'll cut on my super cool competitive water ski. I'll cut underneath her rope and and I'll duck down and she'll lift her rope up and I'll zip all the way out and then I'll turn back and she'll lift her rope up and I'll go down and so we were doing that and it was awesome and I wish that that was the end of the story because I don't like the rest of the story the rest of the story makes me look stupid and foolish and arrogant And I don't have the power to just edit it out because it's really what happened. So my friend Shayna, she gets tired. And so she signals that she's going to drop rope and swim to the boat. And so she does. And we sink into the water. And I say in my stupidness, I say, hey, give me your ski. And I'll ski with both skis. And so on one foot, I have the sleek, cool, competitive water ski. And on the other foot, I have what amounts to a two by four with duct tape. And she gets to the boat. And she goes to pull in her ski rope like one should. But I say, oh no, leave your rope in the water. I'll ski with both ropes. It'll be fun. And she gives me a strange look and um, we did it anyways. And so I pop up behind the boat and I have the competitive water ski and then I have this junky thing and it's about a split second for me to realize the ropes are still two different lengths. And so I'm being towed by the shorter rope and then I'm trying to gather up the excess rope on this other thing. And so I'm holding like a pile of rope and I'm trying to water ski and clearly the intelligent and wise thing to do in this moment would have been to say, cut the motor, like let's just call it, but no, I'm 15. And so I'm holding on to a pile of rope and I'm skiing on these two different skis and I signal to go to the dock. And so we start going to the dock and I start cutting outside the wake to go to the dock and I wash over on the two by four with duct tape into 
the excess rope. And I get that rope wrapped around my wrist and become, begin dragging through the water. And it's an emergency type situation. My wrist is caught. There's still a scar there to this day. But that's the part of the story I don't like to talk about. The cool part of the story where we're doing tricks, that's the good part. Don't you wish you had that opportunity like to look at your life and the events of your life and just edit out certain parts? Just be like, that part makes me look stupid. In that moment, I was so fool. I should not have opened my, I wish I could just delete that scene right out of my life. We don't have that opportunity, but there's a guy in the Bible that somehow it seems like he gets to delete the worst part of his life. He like, in people's memories, people never remember this part. They just kind of truncate it and they all focus on the fact that Jonah the prophet did something awesome. And everyone knows the story of Jonah the prophet in Jonah chapter one, two, and three. In fact, it's told in every single Sunday school around the world, children even know it. And so just to make sure we're kind of all on the same page, I'm gonna play this video. And on this video, you'll see a bunch of elementary kids telling the story of Jonah the prophet and embellishing at a few parts, but just take a look. The end, right? But actually, that's not the end of Jonah's story at all. There's a whole nother chapter to Jonah's story that we're going to focus on this morning. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says, Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish not Nineveh. I knew that you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love and ready to, at the drop of a hat, turn your plan of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So Jonah just succeeded. Like he had just gone to Nineveh and he did what every preacher dreams of doing. He showed up in the city of Nineveh, known to be about 3 million people in this era, and he preached. And the Bible lets us know that the entire city came to God. The entire city, young and old, men and women, rich and poor, everyone, government officials, even the king, the entire city threw away their idols and turned their hearts to God and began following God. And I imagine that if that was the case, that the king would have probably said, hey, Jonah, come to my house, come to the castle. Please come eat at my table. Let me like teach me and my people more about this God of heaven. Show us more about who he is so that we can serve him better. Now that you've told us about him, please come enjoy the luxuries of the castle and, and teach us about your God. But that's not what Jonah did at all. Verse three, so God said, or Jonah's talking and he said, so God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. And God said, what do you have to be so angry about? But Jonah just left. He went out of the city to the east and he sat down in a sulk. He put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. So instead of enjoying the luxury that was probably offered him, the keys to the city that were probably offered him, he pouts. He runs out of the city in a sulk, in an angry mood. He goes up to a vantage point to the east of the city where he can look down upon the city and see all of the people. And he's pouting and he's angry and he's in a really like 
awful situation where the sun is beating down on his head and he is waiting for God to realize what Jonah already knows. Jonah thinks he knows that those people have faked their repentance to God. Jonah thinks he knows that those people did not really turn their heart, that they're just faking it. And Jonah is waiting for God to catch up to him. And so he's out over the city and he's like, hey, by the way, if you don't kill them, just kill me because I know I'm right and you're wrong. The crazy thing is the entire city of Nineveh returned to God as a result of Jonah's preaching. Every single one, except the preacher. Jonah's heart was far from God, even though he brought the message to everyone that God is love and and he's slow to anger and he's rich in sheer grace and mercy. Everyone in all of Nineveh tasted this mercy and grace from God, everyone except the preacher. He finds himself separated from God in a funk, angry at God, sitting over the city, waiting for God to send fire and brimstone and burn it. Something was very broken in Jonah's heart. He knew what God wanted him to do. He knew that God wanted him to go to Nineveh, but he went to not Nineveh. And then he got swallowed by a whale. And so he's in the belly of a whale or whale shark, scientifically. He's in the belly of the whale, right? He's in a nasty, gross, horrific situation. And that changed his direction from not Nineveh to Nineveh, but it didn't change his heart. The whale changed his direction, but the whale did not change Jonah's heart. And God will send things into our lives like whales into our lives to change our direction. And God hopes that when our direction is changing, that we'll make the choice to change and soften our heart. But the heart change is up to us. God gives us as humans the freedom to change our own heart. So God is so after Jonah. He so desires relationship and fellowship with Jonah that he sends a whale to stop him in his path and bring him back to God's path. And I imagine that in the belly of the whale without a flashlight, that Jonah was in some nasty stuff in a horrific situation. And I imagine that he probably made a very rash promise to God. Something like, God, if you get me out of this whale, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll do what you said. And I wonder how many times we ourselves find ourselves in a horrible situation, a tough situation, a stinky situation, and we do similar. We make a rash promise. We say, God, if you will blank, then I will blank. God, if you'll help my husband get this promotion at work, then we will for sure start tithing this time. God, if this test comes back negative, our entire family will be at church every single Sunday. God, if you get my teenager off this path to destruction, I'll read my Bible every day for the rest of my life. In the belly of a whale, we often make big rash promises. But human nature says when we get out, we still have the choice. And so if the whale doesn't change our hearts, we often just go back to the exact same pattern that we were in. That's why you hear stories about someone and you think, oh my gosh, because this has got to be this person's rock bottom. 
Like you hear this person in your life has got their third DUI. You know it's gonna be real jail time. You know it's gonna be huge fines. You know they're gonna for sure lose their license, probably their job. You realize, and you think, oh my gosh, please let this be rock bottom for them. But somehow it's not. Or you hear about a woman and she's broken up and it's this huge, messy, messy relationship ending and she's devastated and the kids are devastated and it's a mess and you think, okay, this time she's gonna seek out her next relationship at church instead of at the bar and then she doesn't because each person chooses their own rock bottom. Each person has the right to say, I'm in the belly of this whale and this is as low as it's gonna go. And so not only do I wanna get spit up on the beach, but I wanna change my heart. I don't just wanna change my direction physically. I wanna change me on the inside with the power of God. And so, so many times we find ourselves in the belly of a whale. And friends, if you are in the belly of a whale, make it your rock bottom. Say, that's enough. God, I yield to your will and to your plan and your purpose. And it's not just gonna change my direction. It's gonna change me from the inside out. So Jonah gets out of the fish and he does what he said he was gonna do, but he doesn't ever change his heart. And so God, so desperate for fellowship and true relationship with Jonah, he prepared and sent a whale. But when the whale didn't work, he then sent a weed. God in Jonah chapter four, verse six, it says, God prepared a broad weed to spring up. It grew over Jonah to cool him off and to let him out of his angry sulk. Jonah was pleased and enjoyed the shade and life was looking up. So the whale was prepared by God, but so was the plant. Anything to gain Jonah's heart. So there Jonah is on the top of the hill, looking down on the city, pointing a finger and accusing the people. He's pointing a finger and he's accusing the people. And he's like, these people, they're fake in their repentance. They aren't authentic in who they say they are. They're just trying to get out of punishment. They don't really love God. And he's got his fingers out and he's pointing and he's accusing. And I don't know if your grandma's like my grandma, but my grandma's feisty. And she used to tell me, JL, you don't point your finger at someone else because when you point your finger at someone, four other fingers are pointing right back at you. And that's literally what's happening. Jonah is judging the people of Nineveh. He's saying they didn't repent authentically. Their hearts are far from God. This is fake. But Jonah was the biggest faker of them all. He was the one who truly hadn't repented. And that's why he's angry. And that's why he's disconnected from God. So now he's angry, disconnected from God, sitting on the top of the hill, judging everyone around him, waiting for God to figure it out. And then he begins to enjoy the shade of the weed. He begins to enjoy this little plant that grows up. And I don't know, maybe he took comfort in it. Maybe he talked to it. Maybe he said, weed, grow just a little bit more this way because I wanna show you those particularly evil people over there. But in the moment when he wasn't talking to God and he wasn't reconciling himself to God, he was filling a hole in his life with this little plant, which really was something that God gave him. He had sheltered himself in the blessing that God gave him. He had hid himself in the blessing that God gave him so that he didn't have to change his heart. And I wonder how many times do we do the same thing? 
How many times do we hide ourselves in something that God has given to us so that we don't have to change or engage with God? And friends, this is a dangerous place to be and this is exactly where Jonah found himself. And so we ask the question, what are the weeds in our lives? The things that we spend time with, talk to, give money to, passion, energy to, what are the weeds in our life that we go to to ease the pain or to numb us during a difficult time? What are the things that we turn to when we're at odds with God? When we're disconnected to God, what do we run to to dull the hurt? And so Jonah, he's run to this shelter. He's hiding in the shelter because he doesn't wanna talk to God about the dysfunction that's going on in his heart. He just wants to accuse other people of having the same thing in them. But I think in our generation, we sometimes hide beneath the shelter of our wealth. We hide in the shelter of our kids' success. We hide in the shelter sometimes of video games, just zoning out to video games to numb the pain or to dull it. We hide in the shelter of social media. And I'm not just talking to young people anymore. The age that's most involved in Facebook right now statistically is 50 and up. 50 and up. And so sometimes we hide ourselves in these things so that we don't have to deal with the fact that something is broken in our hearts. And that's what Jonah was confronting. He was, he was hiding in the weed so that he didn't have to engage with God. And I know it's Colorado, but I'm not talking about that weed. <laughs> Jonah felt entitled to his comfort. He felt, he felt that he deserved this comfort. He felt that, that he had the right to have it. And he didn't care that that weed was filling a place of connection between him and God. And so just like God prepared the whale, God also prepared the weed because he wasn't concerned about Jonah's outward actions. He was concerned about the inward condition of Jonah's heart even more. And so because of that, he also prepared, number three, he prepared a worm. And God prepared a worm to, to, to go after Jonah's heart. Verse seven tells us, but then God prepared a worm. By the dawn of the next day, the worm had borne into the weed and withered it away. The sun came up and, Jonah, and God prepared a hot blistering wind from the east. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head and he started to faint. He prayed to God, I'm better off dead. That's so, so unattractive. <laughs> so I got to stop there at the end of verse eight, because I think right now there's a lot of talk about depression and a lot of talk about um, suicide. And this is not that. This is a grown man having a temper tantrum. And I think it's really important to note that some people will throw out the terms depression or suicide or like Jonah, I'm better off dead because their pride is hurt and they don't wanna soften their heart. And friends, we have to recognize that our heart has to be changed by us. God will change our direction. God will bring blessing into our life, but we have to change the heart. So here we have a grown man throwing a temper tantrum, saying I'm better off dead because he doesn't wanna deal with the dysfunction that lies with inside himself. Verse nine, then God said to Jonah, what right do you have to be angry about this weed? The more weeds we become attached to 
the more worms God has to allow in our lives. The more weeds we become attached to, the more worms God has to allow in our lives. And the worm really is the thing, the situation, the circumstance that God uses to expose our hearts and our motives to ourselves. And sometimes it takes the blessing falling. It takes the success going away for us to really see the funk that lie in our heart the entire time. And so God gave Jonah immense success by preaching in Nineveh, three million people coming to the God of heaven. But Jonah didn't have the character and he didn't have the maturity to deal with that success. And I think we look at our own lives sometimes and we're like, I just want to be the top of the sales force. I just want that success. But if we don't have the maturity or the character to support that success, it's only gonna be the beginning of the end for us. So Jonah has success and he can't sustain it. And God has to send a whale, God has to send a weed, and God has to send a worm. And ultimately that worm is what begins to expose the truth of what's going on in Jonah's heart because God is after our heart. He's not after just our outward actions changing. He cares deeply about the condition of our heart. And if our identity gets wrapped up in a weed, then God will have to uproot that in our lives, not to punish us, but to pursue us. Verse nine, then God said to Jonah, what right do you have to be angry about this weed? Jonah said, plenty of rights. It makes me angry enough to die. <laughs> God said, what's this? Right? Isn't that what you would say as a parent? What's this? How is it that you can change your feelings from anger to, from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere weed that you did nothing to get? You neither planted nor watered it. It grew up one night and died the next. So why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This big city of more than 120,000 babies one translation says 120,000 infants nursing at their mother's breast who don't yet know right from wrong to say nothing of all the innocent children. So we know there's 120,000 infants. Historians say 3 million people. And Jonah is more bummed over the personal inconvenience of the death of the plant than he is toward the 3 million inhabitants of all of Nineveh. And sometimes in our life, in our culture, we get so hung up on personal convenience and comfort and what we think we have the right to, what we think we, have the, we deserve. And here we have Jonah and he's like so much more consumed with his personal convenience than he is all 3 million other human beings. One thing I find fascinating about this chapter is that God could have sent anyone to Nineveh to preach. But he sent Jonah. And I don't think he sent Jonah because Jonah was such a great preacher. And he certainly didn't send Jonah because Jonah was full of character and maturity. I think God sent Jonah to Nineveh because Jonah needed the journey. If Jonah hadn't been sent to Nineveh, the people of Nineveh would have repented for anyone preaching, I think. Three million of them repent like that. They were ready to repent. 
But God sent Jonah, I think, because Jonah needed the journey. He needed the whale. He needed the plants. He needed to have that worm come into it. He needed all three of those things to turn his heart to God. And I think if God hadn't sent Jonah, Jonah would have died in his hometown, a crabby, self-entitled, self-indulgent old man, disconnected from life. But instead, Jonah went on this journey with God and God proved himself faithful and pursued Jonah's heart at every turn so that God could have Jonah. God already could have sent anyone to Nineveh to to help those 3 million people, but Jonah needed that journey. And I wonder what journey are we on that God is sending us on to pursue our hearts? Because God is not just after the prophet in the Bible's heart, he's after the heart of every man, woman, and child in this room. And if he has to, he'll send a whale. And if he has to, he'll send a weed. And if he has to, he'll send a worm. He'll do anything to get our attention, not on the outside to change our direction only, but on the inside to change the condition of our heart. The other thing I find fascinating is that Jonah is the author of the book of Jonah. He wrote it. So he could have written it and ended it just like we all remember at the pinnacle of his success. He could have ended with his triumph and three million people came to the God of heaven and it was beautiful, the end. But Jonah included chapter four. Jonah included his own epic failure in his story. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jonah wrote these verses and it literally ends the way I just read with God rebuking Jonah. And Jonah put his ugly side in this book. And I believe he put the ugly side in his book because he actually eventually did get it. He actually realized that God had prepared the whale and God had prepared the weed and God had prepared the worm and that God was after his heart. And once he realized that all of this was really about him repenting, all of this was about his heart, he wasn't afraid to show the ugly side because he wanted us thousands of years later to listen to that story and to evaluate our own hearts and ask ourselves the critical questions that he had to ask himself in the belly of a whale. And so if we're honest today, I think that there are some of us that are in the belly of the whale. We're in the yucky place. We're in a place that everyone around us who loves us hopes that it's rock bottom for us. And your loved ones and your father in heaven are cheering for you and calling for you and saying, please let this be rock bottom. Please turn your heart. Don't just change your actions because you got the ticket, like change your heart. And if you recognize you're in that stinky place, choose inside yourself to make that your rock bottom and ask God to expose your heart and heal you and set you on solid ground. There's others of us in the room that are hiding beneath the shelter of the weed. We're hiding in our blessings. We're hiding in the gifts that God gave to us and we're using it to dull the pain and the hurt. And we're using it as an excuse to disconnect from our God. I believe God is calling those of us in that situation to step out of that fake shelter that we're in, to get in the game, to engage our heart in true kingdom work and to allow God deep into the recesses of our real self. 
And for some of us, we're experiencing the plague of the worm. The things that we've been clinging to are starting to fall. We're recognizing how temporary they are. And for those of us in that situation, the call for us today is to use the worm that's come into our life to expose the heart to ourselves, to acknowledge our own ugly side, our own selfish side, and to give it over to the Lord. Because no matter where we are on the journey, we can be confident that God is pursuing our heart. And the very last one in all of Nineveh to recognize and experience for himself that God is a God of sheer grace and mercy, that his love never fails, that he's slow to anger, that he throws away his plan of forgiveness and he takes, he takes on this mercy and grace and forgiveness and doesn't punish us like our sins deserve. The last person to recognize that was Jonah. But when Jonah tasted and saw for himself, his entire life was changed. And that's what we hope for each one in this room this morning. If you would stand to your feet. God, thank you that you are a God that goes after our hearts, that you care about the inner parts of us, our attitudes and our inner heart. And God, we acknowledge that we sometimes hide ourselves from you in one way or another. And we invite you now in this moment to search our hearts. No more hiding, no more faking, no more sheltering, search our hearts. And God, as you discover things in the privacy of our hearts, that are not pleasing to you, Lord, we ask that you would reveal to us your sheer grace and mercy, your love that never fails, your program of forgiveness. And Lord, that we may be a people that constantly keeps our hearts soft to you, that is not hardened our hearts for any reason. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we love you, church family, and we'll see you all next Sunday morning. Thanks for tuning in to today's message. If you've never taken an opportunity to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we would love to talk to you about doing that right now. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do that right now today. Pray this prayer to begin your relationship with God through Jesus. God, I am sorry for my sins. I've made mistakes. I apologize. I turn from them and I turn to you. I want to make you the Lord and leader of my life. Guide me. Teach me how you want me to live. I want to live for all eternity in heaven with you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and raising to life again. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Friends, we believe if you prayed that prayer, you have begun your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we would love to hear from you here at Fellowship Church. Simply contact us at 970-245-PRAY or go online to fellowshipgj.com and tell us your story.